Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. We are continuing our series titled Resolution. Uh, it is the New Year season. A lot of people are setting resolutions. We are talking about the resolution that God made with his people, the nation of Israel in the book of Leviticus, using the offerings to set right the things that were uh, broken and fractured in the Garden of Eden through sin and the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And it's a really cool story. It's a really cool uh, way to see how God is trying to interact with his people, trying to make peace and have fellowship with them. And I've been really enjoying it, as I've talked about in the last couple episodes. And I'm joined by lead pastor of Mission City, Russell Ch- Russell, Russell Schultz. It's, Russell a, it's, Schultz. A, it's a Schultz. <laughs> Schultz. <laughs> Schultz with an S. Uh, Russell Schultz. Russell, we've had back-to-back, gloomy, rainy, snowy, disgusting days here in Kansas City. How you feeling, man? How's your soul? Feeling pretty pretty down today, not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> Is that why you kicked the fireplace on? I did turn the fireplace on, which uh, I'm trying to use the word vibe more. Really not. Actually, you set the vibe perfectly. I'm trying to set the vibe, just trying to, just trying to find something. Immaculate vibes, some are saying. Yeah, if the the fireplace got warm, uh, I'd be even better. But it's great. It's, it's it just needs to heat up a little bit. Yeah. So we're doing well. It's gross outside, but we're doing well inside. Praise the Lord for the blessings of homes and fire and warmth. Uh, Russell, I got a lot to unpack with you today. Uh, first of all, a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot going on. First of all, have you seen? I saw a video this morning of robot like it was a a robots performing surgery basically it's just like these robotic arms and the the basically the story was that there was a doctor in london i believe who was performing surgery it was a banana so just cutting back the peel like using like tiny little blades uh to cut back the peel of a banana and then like sew it back onto the banana the banana was in california it was a doctor in london using some kind of technology in order to perform surgery on a banana in California. Wow. I don't know what that says for the future of humanity. Robots taking over the world. I was mind blown. AI, they say. I read something like 80 or 90% of all the internet's going to be AI soon. I don't even... Isn't the internet already 100% AI? I'm very know. confused like by that. Maybe content-driven? Someone also uh, sent me a, an AI like written or paraphrase of someone else's content. And uh, it was like it was it was very close to what the it was a paraphrase of uh, what this guy would have written. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. So I'm good luck. I'm fascinated by the that. Matrix. It's happening. It's a yeah. thing. No kidding. Uh, I also on my drive over here. We're uh, recording at your house today. I w- turned on the radio, and the radio station had the two hosts. Uh, one of them had brought their four-year-old daughter or four-month-old daughter into the studio for whatever circumstances he had his daughter. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the occasional times that uh, Judah would make an appearance on the podcast recently and just ruining the professionalism of the podcast and feeling guilty about it. And then I turn on the radio and there's a four-month-old baby 
who's you know infiltrating the radio station that you know the whole KC Metro is listening to. So uh, I felt a lot better about myself through that, and I just want to share that with you. So we're doing all right. Uh, we're just like everyone else. Yeah, I don't uh, understand why you feel guilty about that. As my dogs are literally perusing around the entire living room right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got one on top of your shoulder, and then one literally sitting on top of our equipment. So. You know, it's a, we're a, it's an enduring podcast. We we power through. We do um, <laughs> we, we as best we can. That's right. Yep. That's right. Now that we've gone through all the shenanigans, uh, I am excited about today's uh, topic. We are in part three of this series. Uh, we are in the third offering in Leviticus chapter three. All the threes today, and that is the peace offering or fellowship offering. Peace and. There is, uh, there's some different takes on this, different viewpoints. One of them that is uh, mostly, I think, accurate is that this is actually, this is the party offering. Uh, oh, this is wild. Today on the podcast, partying, goat demons. There's some wild stuff involved with this. Um, shanks of huge pieces of meat, hundreds of thousands of animals sacrificed. It's it's a wild time. We got a lot to get into. Can't wait to get started. Okay. So, uh, uh, I do like to party. <laughs> <laughs> so, starting in Leviticus chapter three, uh, here's kind of the rundown. And chapter three is really where we see a very repetitive, kind of three part process of what this sacrifice is. If you want to skip over to chapter seven, you'll see more of an application of it. Uh, but here's kind of the outline. So, really, you would have uh, an animal either from the herd or the flock. Not birds, um, but like a, a sheep, uh, or you could do an animal from. Um, Isn't it a goat? Yes, you are correct. It's a goat. It literally like so. The ESV, I believe, translation just says like, "Here's the stipulations for an animal from the herd. Here's the stipulations for an animal from the flock." Oh, and if you have a goat, <laughs> what's a what's a pack of goats? What's or you know not a pack, but what's what's a group of goats called? You get you on that. You got the crack research team uh, on the on the group of goats there, Russell. It's called a herd. It's called a herd. <laughs> <laughs> it's for, a herd. Of course, it is a herd of goats. So I don't know why that one's specifically mentioned, but it, it, this is, there are some similarities and some differences that you'll pick up if you listen to the first couple episodes. It's an animal either from the herd or the flock uh, or a goat <laughs> or a goat herd. <laughs> right. Uh, it could be male or female which is interesting. That's different from the previous uh, burnt offering that had to be a male. This can be a male or female, but still without blemish, which is always important. Uh, you think about what you're, who you're offering this to. You're offering this to the God of the universe. It should be the best of the best. It should be something that's, you know, you don't want to give just your, your scraps, your lowest quality, the one that you would be okay not having around. Uh, you want to give your best. And so uh, it's a male or female without blemish. A hand is placed on the head of the animal, similar to the burnt offering. And then uh, this is a little gross, but uh, we'll get into kind of maybe why this is. But the fat and the entrails, the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver that are all very fatty pieces of the animal are then sacrificed to God. Whereas the meat of the animal is distributed among the person who brought it to offer it and the priest, which is really interesting. So, Russell, I'm going to tell you as a fellow modern day priest, you want to be in office on the day that the peace offering comes. The day that the burn offering comes, that's a lot of work. You're not, you're getting the skin out of that, but you would get a breast possibly, uh, a thigh 
from this offering, uh, it's you want to be in office on the day that the peace offering comes. Yeah, it sounds like a nice time to barbecue. You it, know? It, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, and then again, so this same kind of breakdown is repeated if it's an animal from the flock or a goat. And it had to be eaten. This is one of the really uh, interesting points of this one and that what sets it apart in some ways is that it had to be eaten in a very short period of time. So depending on what kind of type of peace offering it is, uh, they all had to be eaten either on the first day or on the first two days after it was killed. If you ate on the third day, that would be considered unclean. At that point, the sacrifice no longer applies. And here's the interesting thing. If you go to Leviticus chapter 17, you'll see that really the Israelites were not supposed to eat meat of any kind or kill an animal to eat its meat other than for this peace offering. This is the only time that you would eat meat uh, if you were an Israelite at this time, which... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about later on what the implications that means for some of the other stories of the Bible. Um, but I think that would that's, a, that's an interesting uh, viewpoint or reality for us here in modern-day United States culture where the meat is like the central part of our of our meal at least it is for me i i don't know if you had this uh, experience with cassie at all but sarah uh builds her dishes when she's going to cook she builds her meals from the sides in inward <laughs> to the to the, like the main course is like not what i would consider the main course the the meat would be like the last thing on her mind sure whereas opposed to i think of that first and then build the sides around that she thinks of the sides first before she thinks about what the the meat is going to be yeah i mean i i uh i'm i'm being your camp uh i'm trying i am trying to actually limit uh or reduce a little bit of the amount of meat i eat but um in general just because i think there's like a sustainability there's some sustainability questions and you could take it from any you go from beef to fish to um to how we you know raise chickens and stuff like that too but um but yeah i think for me it was like I remember the first time Cassie might have made dinner. I was like, is it, who's it? Is that enough for, is that enough for one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you say sustainability, are you talking about for you or for the animals? Well, I, there is a health, I think there are some health things to specific, depending on the type of meat. Like if you're just going to Fred Flintstone it and eat red meat, you know, there's a quote in that old Flintstones movie talking about like my dad ate red meat every day and he lived to the long age of like 31 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know they were taking subtle jabs all the way back well, then. It was like the live action. Did you ever see oh, that movie? Oh, yeah, not, I know the what cartoon. you're talking about. Yeah, there's now like a live action. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was still probably like 15 years ago, right? Or, oh, at least 20 at okay. this point. Yeah, yeah. W- it could be 30, actually, yeah. with my age. But uh, anyway, so there is that. But then also just, you know, as a, I, I, I'm not like making like, cr- like I'm, I will continue to eat meat. But there is, I was there's some research that I've read that talks about how like if if we if everyone in the world started limiting a little bit of their like meat intake, then we could feed the we could feed the whole world. And so there's implications of that. There, then you can go super like green on it and talk about you know get, uh, CO two emissions and stuff like that too. Which that's not where we're we're, we're now taking a hard hard right, uh, hard right. turn. Put your Netflix documentaries down. And, I'm not uh, and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in general. I'm trying to eat less meat, more right. veg, more veggies, yeah. uh, and because you know, and then it's probably better for you. Yeah, so yeah. Sarah sure. probably has the right uh, from the very beginning. We're just uh, we're just kind of reprogramming. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's what being that's what getting married does to you. you it does. Start yeah. Reprogramming. Yeah, it's called um, sanctification. 
<laughs> Some are saying. Um, so moving forward with the peace offering here, uh, one of the reasons why it's called the peace offering is that the, the, the word uh, is shel- shelamim, uh, if I'm understanding that correctly. It's the same root word for shalom. And so yeah. uh, shalom is different from peace. Do you want to give us some insight on, yeah, I know you've mentioned that before, but what, are, what does shalom mean to you as opposed to just peace? Well, I think you can't, I've heard it translated as peace, but I think about the idea of wholeness. Uh, it really makes me think of the garden, uh, like Eden, just because like in, in that, a lot of people say that it was perfect, which I don't know if that's true, because it just, like I think about perfect being, um, but, uh, anyway, uh, then I started asking like, why was the serpent there? But anyway, uh, different, another rabbit trail for another day. But uh, when I think about that, I, I think about wholeness. I think about... Um, yeah, I think the word wholeness comes to mind. I can't think of anything else at the moment. It must be the weather, but yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought up Eden. We'll get to that in just a second. I I think for me, uh, one of the things that I heard when descri- w- listening to some people talk about this offering, uh, one guy talked about how shalom is like when things are as they should be. Yeah. Which that I think is like something I can I can jive with that. You know, it's like when things are as they should be. Uh, that's different from just at peace because you can things can be a little bit disturbed and you can still like have peace in the moment. Um, but when things are as they should be and all is kind of right with the world, that is the idea of shalom. Yeah, which may, makes you go Eden. Which I like the I like the phrasing of that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So and and with Eden, that's some part of this sacrifice and part of all of these offerings really is some flavor of getting back to Eden. Uh, and that's yeah. th- this, when we talk about how here, here, this is, this is fascinating to me. And I, I believe, um, this is the, as I'm racking my brain, this is the only offering that really has this kind of characteristic to it. In the burnt offering, we see that everything is given to God, right? Like the entire animal is burnt. Yes. There's the skin of the animal that goes to the priest. So I guess they get a little bit from it, but for the most part, it's all given to God in the grain offering you get a little bit to God and then uh, most of it goes to the priests for their own well-being and food. In this one, in the peace offering, uh, God gets his fat and blood portion. Uh, the priest gets a piece of the meat or parts of the meat. And then the offerer gets the majority of the meat. So all three kind of different people that are involved in the sacrifice get to partake in this offering or get something out of it which I think is really interesting. Um, and when you think about like just the uniqueness of this and how it brings you back to kind of an Eden fellowship type of like all things are right, we all share in the goodness of this. Uh, I really appreciate that part of this sacrifice. Yeah, and I was, um, I think not only you you received that, but also uh, let's say you're doing it around a part a group of people like your family or there's also like intentionality that I've heard around this where you're supposed to invite like maybe like the widow and the orphan to also participate. So not only is it like it's that God graciously gifts it back to you in some ways, but then you as the, the, the offerer, the offerer, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you also can gift it to maybe the marginalized uh, and like so that they are also like being taken care of. And so they're experiencing the peace or the shal- not uh, the shalom that you're talking about, like because they're taken care of. Yeah, I like that. Um, it, that's 
that's really fascinating. Um, now, now you got me spinning on that. I think part of where that comes from and something that we should kind of maybe circle back to, I mentioned before that uh, you only had a day or two to eat all of the meat. Yeah, so you, I mean, <laughs> if there's two-day regulation on the meat, like uh, maybe logistically the Lord's like, you, well, you got to have a few people around. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like good luck going through an entire cow on your own. You know, like that would be a big undertaking. Yeah. Uh, your whole, the whole fam, everybody eats. You know, that, that that's kind of the, uh, that's the mantra of the peace offering. Um, because yeah, like it's not explicitly stated too many places where the peace offering comes up in scripture that there's a party or there's a celebration or something like that thrown. It's a little bit just kind of hinted and assumed because there's such an abundance of meat available that this would become. And it's the only time that you're going to get meat. So it's like this specialty meal in abundance that you have to eat in a short amount of time. You have to invite the whole the whole village over, you know? Like, that's just, you're talking about hundreds of pounds of meat that you've got to get through in just a couple short days. Um, yeah, everybody eats when the peace offering goes up. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, what's the reference on the, what's the reference on this is the only time that they eat, they eat meat? Leviticus 17. So uh, you and, and and possibly there could be a misunderstanding on my part here. Yeah. Uh, as you as you pull up the Google machine, uh, I Bible Gateway. He talks about how actually you know what I've got it in the notes here. Let me just read it. Leviticus chapter seventeen verses three and four say this: If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a grain as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord blood guilt shall be imputed on that man he has the shed blood and the man shall be cut off from among his people so if he kills an animal and does not offer it as a sacrifice then he cannot eat of it if he finds it dead then it's already corrupt and like you're not supposed to eat something that's already dead um yeah, that's just sanitary. We don't even need a, a biblical law f- to tell us that. Uh, but so those the only two ways that you could really come across meat. Uh, God outlines here that this is really the kind of narrows down, you know, what you're able to do and not do with with meat. Uh, so is this news to you? Is that why you, you're? Yeah, I'm just curious about it. Uh, well, one, I'm curious about uh, chickens because it, it it does specifically oh, lay out yeah. ox, lamb, goat, Fair. fish. Depending on uh, your view of fishing, although their access to to be able to fish water would have been in short supply. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're gonna head back over to the Red Sea. No. Uh, so, but I'm I'm just thinking like in general though. Like I, I'm thinking not only of like when they're camped out in the wilderness. I'm thinking about going forward. Um, yeah. When they're like in the promised land and going forward, that's what that's kind of how I'm processing. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I'm, I do agree. I think what I'm, what I agree with you for is like, for the most part, like, uh, I think in general though, like when you did, when you probably offered up one of your animals, it would, it was a huge deal to you anyway. It wasn't like, you know, kind of how we have, uh, we have feedlots today where you're just, you just, you're trying to make for the millions and millions of people that we have uh, in the United States and across the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the case that you could have chickens, uh, and I would say later when they're in the in the promised land they could fish as well. So and I, I mean I will say um, at one point someone told me they're becoming a vegetarian, but they still eat chicken and they still eat fish. And I said, is that I said you're a selective carnivore? Uh, I don't think that's a uh, 
That's that's not being a vegetarian. Yeah, I get. I mean, maybe you can make a distinction with you know the pescatarian. I think is a lifestyle as well. But uh, but uh, I think you mentioned earlier that the reason why God instituted this was, was something about a goat demon. Yeah, yeah. So this is <laughs> this is one of those parts of scripture that just is like, what is going on here? So uh, I read verses three and four of chapter seventeen of Leviticus uh, a minute ago. I'll continue on the next three verses here. Uh, the reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them to into the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer up the fat and smoke as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. So apparently the reason, one of the reasons why this was instituted was to get the people of Israel to stop sacrificing their goats out in the open field to goat demons Instead, they would bring them to the Lord, to the, the front of the, the tent, uh, in order to give them as peace offerings. Wild stuff. Who would have thought? But, but you know, if you're, they just got left Egypt, you know, they probably picked up or at least were aware of, you know, sacrifices that are going on uh, with other, you know, communities near them or around them or Im- impacted by that. So you can see that it's, it goes back to, you know, God is trying to rid his community of idolatry, any type of idolatry. Certainly. And I mean, I don't, I'm not going to try to come up with a direct parallel to today off the top of my head, but think about just the idea that the goats are there. Again, we said this every episode, but there's no monetary system. A goat is your wealth. It's, it's what you have. It's like your, your prize, like your animals and everything would be your possessions. And so, uh, you, what they're really doing is just trying to build wealth. Uh, they're sacrificing to these goat demons in order to have cleaner, unblemished, more popular goats. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. So uh, anyway, let's jump to our next section here. We've talked a little bit about this, hinted at this, the fat and the blood. Uh, this is really fascinating because to me, I don't know about you, Russell, but my my cut of choice, if I were to go to the old butcher shop or to a steakhouse, I love a good medium rare ribeye. That would be like my ideal steak. Okay. A little fatty, a lot of fatty, uh, a little bloody. And so as I read this, I'm feeling a little convicted that maybe I'm doing something wrong here. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, an Israelite in this time period and I'm post Jesus. So I'm probably set free from it. But uh, point being, this is interesting. Like, what is going on here? I've got some thoughts, but anything directly as I say that that hits you is like, yeah, maybe this is what God's doing, or wow, that's uh, that's not great for me. You think it was like the blood, you know, like the 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 juices of after cooking a meat is the blood he's talking about, or you think it's actually the specific blood of the? I think the animal probably. Any blood that's remaining, like post cooking, is probably a little different. But right, yeah, yeah, because I I would imagine any cut of, you know, the blood is drained from the animal before it gets butchered. I would imagine that's why they hang them and all that, like, or part of the reason why. So maybe okay, we're getting way into the weeds here of uh, blood and life and all that. But well, yeah, I mean, the reason the blood is because life is in the blood. So that he that's in every that's in every uh, 
it seems like that's in every offering that has an animal to do with it. Uh, the fat, the fat's interesting because it's like a sweet aroma to God, like it's described that way, which, uh, I'm with you too. Like if you render, not like uber fat, but if you render like fat on a piece of meat, well, mm-hmm. there's just nothing like it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, <laughs> that's why, that's why God wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, <laughs> makes uh, a lot of sense. <laughs> it, it does. It does. It, yeah. And so, um, yeah, but. Well, and I think um, so. Here's here's my thought, and this is strictly me. Uh, this is not something that I read from a commentary or any kind of scholar. So take it with a grain of salt. But you talked about the blood being the life of the animal, and then the fat being this pleasing aroma, pleasing smells to God. If you put those things together, you have like a pleasing life. You have the life of the animal and a pleasing aroma. So like. In some ways, the offering of blood and uh, blood and fat to God was this is my offering of a pleasing life to you. Um, uh, that's that's my interpretation anyway. What's well, interesting? Yeah, uh, I don't know that we need to spend a whole lot more time there, other than this. This is what God. This is what God asked for. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so that that's that's what He gets. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's not like, you know, you could ask, well, why does he want that? It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot to, I will say the blood is a lot easier to go down that road because the blood was purifying. Like it's the life. So you're talking about, um, part of the reason of these offering, like man is doomed to die. Right. And so the life of these animals was sprinkled on the altar in order to, uh, some ways like give life to the sacrifice it was uh to incorporate life and wash clean uh the death of the animal uh that was that was being sacrificed and so in some ways like the the blood and the life and maybe i'm not doing the best job of describing this but uh there's there's a clear purpose for the life blood to be sprinkled on the altar and things like that the fat is seems more of like that just smells good and god wants it i wonder if it because it burns easier Possibly. And it, it melts down. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah, it would definitely, I mean, fat's going to go a lot faster than like the actual meat itself, like a burn offering. You're going to, that's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, cause it's yeah. like, if you have too much fat on a grill, it's like that thing's going to. Right. Let's move on to our examples. So, uh, this will kind of help us to get a better idea too, of maybe how the sacrifice operated, what would be the right time to do it. You yeah. asked me. Before. Yeah. Like when do you, when, when do we do this? Right. And so here's kind of my basic, I'm going to try to boil it down to the most simplest form. This sacrifice would be offered when you were seeking peace or celebrating peace. Those are the two times. And, uh, you know, it's not just obviously celebrating peace is, has a more party like vibe to it, but seeking peace is important too. And we'll see an example of that here. Uh, I'll give some of the more uh, positive ones first, and then we'll talk about one that feels a little bit like it's a one-off or different, but really it, it lines up in the same vein. We'll talk about why. So the first time that we see, not the first time in the Bible, but one of the first examples is when God gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So this is just before, this is in the book of Exodus, just before he gives them this new commandment uh, to of how to do these offerings in Leviticus at the base of the mountain. Before he comes down, uh, he gives Moses this, the law, uh, and they make a peace offering, and they celebrate. The, nation, the leaders of Israel eat and drink in celebration of the law that God has given to Moses. Uh, in Samuel chapter 10, we see that Samuel makes a peace offering when Saul is anointed king. 
This is in First uh, Kings, cha- uh, or sorry, Samuel chapter ten. First uh, Samuel chapter ten. Wow, that was a struggle. Uh, also, here David offers a peace offering when the Ark of the Covenant is returned. So all of these are like monumental moments in the history of the nation of Israel uh, that they get the law. The first king is anointed that God is going to give them. Yeah, like da- everyone's showing up, major parties. Exactly. David yeah. brings the presence of God back to the city, the capital city, like yeah. big deals, right? Um, Solomon, when the temple is finished. There's a lot of meat being cooked that oh, day. Oh, man. So the richest man on earth offers the sacrifice that's all about throwing a big party. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, in verse uh, 63 of First Kings chapter 8. We see that Solomon, after constructing the temple, finished it off by throwing a party, a peace offering, where he offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. That's, that's, that's a lot of meat. It's a lot of meat being offered. That's a huge celebration, a party. I mean, the two days of eating so much meat uh, and partying and just living it up. And, and, and for good reason, you know? The temple, the the permanent place, permanent God, like dwelling place of the Lord. At this point, it's just been in you know a, a moving tent, basically. Uh, the permanent dwelling place of the God of God has been established with His people. So the biggest peace offering party yet gets. Yeah, done. that's actually one of the days in history. If I could go back to, I think I'd love to see that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it's like they've been. I mean, they've been in the land for a while, but just to see like temples done, you know, yeah, just just see the 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 god just kind of like going into the holy of holies in that space yep and then also just just all the meat to eat you know yeah yeah not a bad time yeah uh so (laughs) you mentioned uh your friend being a selective carnivore i am just just a carnivore Uh, (laughs) you're just (laughs) nothing selective about it yeah uh here's here's a different take though and here's a situation that's a that's a little bit different when it comes to this offering so in judges chapter 20 i'll try to set the scene here the nation of Israel has a, a, one of its one of its tribes, the Benjaminites, have done something that the rest of the, the nation really feels is uh, is against the law of God. They've taken these certain people, this certain people group. Uh, they've given them refuge. They are allowing them to live and dwell among them, uh, and this upsets the rest of the nation of Israel, who then goes and confronts them and tells them that they need to kick these people out. And the Benjaminites refuse, and so war breaks out. And so you have these this small army of Benjaminites who are incredibly skilled with a slingshot. I think it says something along the lines of 28,000 that could knock the hair off of the top of your head, basically with a rock. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, pretty accurate snipers with the slingshot. Uh, and then you have like hundreds of thousands of foot soldiers from the nation of Israel. And for the first two days of this battle, even though the Benjaminites are massively outnumbered, they use, you know, guerrilla warfare tactics. They're hiding in trees and along roadsides and everything and just picking off these, the rest of the Israelites who are on foot, who are, you know, infantry type men or carrying swords, things like that. And they're just getting brutally uh, wiped out by this small group of Benjaminites. And so on the second day, after the second day, massacre uh they they offer a peace offering to the lord and they say god uh would you bring us like should we continue to go out against them 
and should we uh, continue this, this battle in order to find peace? And would you bring us peace? Like, that's why we're offering this to you. And on the third day, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, they finally get smart and set a trap for the Benjaminites uh, and lure them in and wipe out most of the army. And uh, they end the war and, and peace comes among the tribe and the rest of the nation. And so that is obviously a very different circumstance than the celebration of the temple being built or the ark being brought back or the new king being established. Things like, like Those are happy celebration moments, but this is also a time of seeking peace. So we yeah. have celebrating peace and we have seeking peace. Hmm. Yeah. That's so fascinating. It's also uh, in some ways a little sad, you know, but I guess war is sad, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting that we see that in terms of what else do we see, like, initially right after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Like, the next page, you've got what we talked about last week with the, the offering of Cain and Abel, and then violence breaks out. And, like, a brother kills a brother. War among a family. Yeah. And so part of the, the, the consequence of leaving Eden, uh, I know we talked about potentially not being a, a perfect place, but it is a good place, and it's safe from violence in, internally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think what you're also seeing here is, again, like as with all of these offerings, it's a righting of some of the wrongs that took place in the garden. It's a resolution to... You have strife and violence and combativeness among your people ever since you've left the garden. And I'm going to offer you a way to find peace among yourselves and peace with me and to celebrate that and to seek that out uh, so that you can, again, return to more of this garden-like state that I, I want to, to you to have. And I want to spend that with you. I want that to be your existence. Uh, it's It's really, really like God is just... He's just so good, you know? And then, like, I get that these sacrifices, these seem weird, and why do animals have to die and all of that? Like, we ha- I have those same questions, but when you look at the purpose behind them, like, man, God really is trying to reestablish with his people this good relationship and existence, not just among him and themselves, but among each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I do think, I think this series has been good for me, too, just to consider... Not just, you know, yeah, that's just the old way they do it. And, you know, let's, they, they kill some animals and it's just for, it's almost like the only sacrifice I ever thought about was just kind of like the atoning ones, you know, to cover sins. And it's like, and the, yes, those are important, but like God also has more, there's more, there's, there's a greater dynamic and nuance to these, these sacrifices uh, for human beings to live in relationship with God and to relationship with one another. And so it's been, it's been helpful. What other, I don't know, t- takeaways? It's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. Applications is not maybe not the right word, but just you know, we're twenty first century readers trying to follow Jesus. You know, what is what? What are you thinking about outside of like God's awesome, God's good? What you know? What does this look like for us in some ways today? Or how should we? How should we? Wa- how should we walk away from this podcast? What should we be thinking about? That's the better question at the end. The yeah. Last one. Uh, here's my conclusion. Part of what we are called to as followers of Jesus is to seek peace among ourselves and, and with God. 
And so uh, while we look at, and again, I'll always bring these offerings back to Jesus being the perfect version of them. We look at Jesus being the one who brings us peace. He is the one who brought us peace with God. Uh, that's actually one of the more interesting things. Uh, I think Billy Graham was the one who described what happens when you put your faith in Jesus as finding peace with God. Uh, he wrote a book about something along the lines of peace with God. Anyway, um, but that is one of the better descriptions of what happens when that relationship with God gets righted or when we come into a, a renewed relationship through faith in Jesus with God is that we find peace with our creator and the opportunity to have greater peace with our fellow man. And I think that when we look at this sacrifice, what, what better way to celebrate fellowship and peace with God and with each other than through partying, celebration. You mentioned how you in the past had just talked like thought about the atoning ones or the ones for sins. Uh, one of the one of the scholars that I I was reading and listening to in research of this said that uh, actually tw- only 20% of the sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament were sin related. 80% were celebration related. So, I think that's a that's a perspective. You said you said eighty percent were celebration related. Eighty percent are celebration related. Twenty percent are sin related. Huh. But that perspective of getting so like, just like tunnel visioned on the sin or atonement ones, I think that's a perspective that's pretty common. And even inside of our churches today, we talk a lot about sin wow. and how to overcome sin and things like that. We don't talk a whole lot about what to celebrate, what to how to encourage each other within the Lord, how to have fellowship, how to grow together in our celebration of who God is and what he's done. And so I think my takeaways from this are just like, we should be celebrating the peace that we have with God and the peace that we, the fellowship that we can have with each other on a much more regular basis than we do. And probably talking a whole lot less about the wrongs that we do and a whole lot more about celebrating what God, the good that God has done. Well, I will bring this to you in a story form. Uh, so one of the final examples of the peace offering that's not explicitly stated as a peace offering, but something to think about that I believe, uh, if this person, if this fictional, or at least I believe fictional character, uh, was honoring Jewish law, Jesus tells a story of a father who's lost a son. The son has gone and spoiled his good fortune on loose living and finds himself eating pig slop and decides that he's going to go back to his father, beg for forgiveness and beg for an opportunity to uh, just be a servant in his father's house because they lived better than he was. The response of the father, as you know, the story is the prodigal son, uh, is to run out and to celebrate the return of his son but not just to celebrate the return of his son. He kills the fatted calf and throws a party in order to celebrate the return of his son. Now, here's the interesting thing. That, if he was to stick to good Jewish law, that would have required some form of a peace offering. For him to eat that cow, there would have had to be offering made to the Lord to celebrate that. It's the fatted cow, meaning that there's extra fat on this cow, extra good extra smells. good smells for the Lord, extra pieces for God. It's interesting that we I've so often heard that preached as like that's the ribeye, you know, that's the good steak or whatever because it's the fatted cow. And it's like really like God gets the fat if we're if we're really looking at it through the this sacrificial system. So I'm not sure how much of that you're really getting to celebrate or eat as an Israelite, but Jesus, Son of God, 
is telling a story about a father who like makes a sacrifice and has a th- big party for his son coming home and celebrates with the extra fatty part that's for God. Uh, there's there's a lot of layers to this, um, but it's fascinating um, to think through how that this offering you know overlays onto that story and what and, and really what Jesus is trying to say in that the celebration of someone who is experienced returning home to God and returning home to a father and uh, the fatty pieces going to God, celebrating, thank you, God, for the peace and this fellowship that you've brought to us and all the things that you've done for us and that I have a relationship with my family again. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're, uh, it goes back to kind of the definition of shalom for me when you're talking about as it should be, you know, life as it should be. And then the response to life as it should be is a response of worship, you know, of of just worship in the form of partying, worship in the form of celebrating, worship in the form of enjoying God, our lives, and enjoying the people that God's brought brought around us. Yeah. So as you as we wrap up this podcast, I'd encourage you as you think about this offering to celebrate, to celebrate in some way. Maybe you just need to grab you know, some ice cream, or uh, it could be a meal that you want to throw, a big party. Uh, maybe you just want to enjoy time with friends um, in, some, in, in your own way. Uh, I'd encourage you, you know, you're not beholden to the laws of the Israelites, uh, although it's a good reference point uh, just for how God c- like kind of chose the map to live. Um, but you're not beholden to those laws. Find a way for yourself to celebrate. Bring some people around you. Enjoy life. Enjoy celebration of what God has done and the fellowship and peace that he has brought for your relationship with him and your relationship with your fellow man. So we love you guys. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Mission State Church podcast. We'll be back next Thursday with our fourth uh, offering. There are five total. So just two more weeks left to this series. Also, by the time that you're listening to this, we will most likely have, uh, or we should have a new episode of the Mission State Church podcast, the, our book club episode. We've talked about this a couple times on the podcast, uh, doing something different. Uh, I'm working to get that episode out, um, or I will have that episode out before you listen to this. And so if you didn't check that out, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and check that one out. Uh, It's really interesting breakdown of the book, Reclaiming Conversation. Uh, And yeah, I got a lot out of it. I thought it was really impactful for me and hopefully it is for you too. So check that out. All right. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.